Lord, thank you so much again for these good folks. Thank you for the high honor of being able to share with them this morning. And I do pray over the next few moments, you would hide me deep in your cross. And not just me, Lord, but hide the people who listen deep in your cross. Um, let us let us hear from you. Let us set aside the things that might be in the way, set aside prejudices that we might have or biases, and let's just for the next few moments, Lord, have clarity of thought to focus on our relationship to you and what that looks like. And so, Father, when we leave this place, um, man, no matter where we are in our walk with you, when we leave this place, may we just, may we just know that there's this one area, this one piece that we can do, be a little bit more like you, because that's what we want to do, and that's what we desire to have happen. In your name. Amen. So let me get everybody caught up in case you've been traveling or haven't been around or maybe just visiting in today. We've been sort of going after these two questions that I think are crucial for everybody. Uh, Everybody ought to have an answer to these two questions. And the two questions are this. um, Do you have a relationship with God? And if so, what's it look like? That's it. And so this is the kind of thing that you and I, we could all just sort of answer for ourselves. It's not going to be cookie cutter. It's going to be unique. Do you have a relationship with God? And if so, what does that relationship look like? And so we've been going through what it means to have a relationship with God because there's a whole lot of confusion and, frankly, a lot of opinions about that. But this isn't like some kind of guessing game. There's actually clear understanding of what it means to have a relationship with God that are laid out in Scripture. And that's where this kind of has come into play over here. We've been kind of defining what these metaphors are in Scripture for what it means to relate to God. And the Scripture lays out an initial one, like this courtroom uh, metaphor for relating to God, which is something like this. Well, I'm guilty, and I'm standing before a judge, and the judge says, you know what? You're forgiven, or you're, you're justified, just as if you've never sinned. And that's where many of us, in fact, probably all of us, start our relationship with God. It's kind of like a contract almost. Hey, God, I'm in your courtroom. You're saying we're good. Okay, we're good. And that's kind of where this whole thing starts. But what's amazing to me is that the Bible doesn't just leave it there. This is kind of like this small percentile of what it means to relate to God. And then the Bible actually takes these relationships and makes them even deeper and even more intimate. And, And we shouldn't be surprised by this. Because this is how relationships work. You, you think about this, even with, without meaning to be disrespectful to the topic, but even if you have a pet, your relationship grows with that pet, fair? And the same thing's true in whether you decide you have, whether you have a marriage or whether you have a boyfriend or girlfriend or whether you have just a small group, you start at one place, but it's always growing. And that's kind of what the whole thing about the relationship with God is. This is not an exclusive list, but this just kind of shares how the relationship with God can actually progress. And that's sort of the surprise element that I think we have to wrestle with in this room. That a relationship with God involves, ready, movement and progression. It's not something that you just get in the door and you sit in the courtroom, God and I are good. That's not it. That's not it. It actually moves. It actually grows. There is a plan for us to grow deeper in that relationship. And as we move deeper into the relationship, then we start seeing movement on several fronts in our lives. So God, one move, we move from self-interest to an other's focused life. We move from selfishness to generosity. We'll move from optional to essential when it comes to the things of faith. We move from impure to pure. We move from no purpose to actually having very clear purpose and direction. We move from being a person who takes to actually a person who gives. And it moves from 
wondering and battling whether we're living this insignificant life to actually living a life of significance. And so if you followed along and as so far and you sort of understand all of this, this relationship with God is pretty, is pretty important. And it's not just to you. That, that would be an easy thing for me to sell you on. This relationship with God really matters to you. And if you'll do it, you'll end up being better because we all like this you-centered conversation. But it's actually important to our community. It's important to our family and the people we love, what we do in this relationship. Uh, one of my, my you're not in a bubble. One of my friends, Steve Deneff, he wrote a book and he says this. He said, let us remember that we are not, we are in the battle for our own souls here. And when we decide the fate of holiness for this generation, when we decide where we are here, we are in that moment deciding everything else. Now, I can kind of prove it to you. Imagine, I don't know your family history, family upbringing, but just imagine if your grandfather, say, was a sold-out-the-whole-route kind of believer. Or imagine if he wasn't. And that would play out in your family, fair? That would play out in the home that you were, your, your parents were raised in, all that kind of stuff. So that's just kind of this moment. So what is vital for us to understand now is this. If, this. if this relationship with God thing is growing, and if it has such huge impact for not just my life, but my family, my relationships, and my community, what hurts or damages this relationship? Because if you buy into the idea that a relationship with God is one of life's greatest treasures, then it just logically would make sense to me that we want to do anything we can to protect this, to value it, to esteem this relationship. So what stunts it? What, 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 what destroys this? Well, the one thing that damages this relationship, no matter where you find yourself on this kind of, these, out, of out of all these metaphors... The one thing that destroys this relationship is what the Bible calls sin. So in other words, sin actually works to erode what's happening in our relationship with God. Now the question becomes, at least for me, what in the world is sin? Because it's not a word I use anywhere other than church. So what is sin? Now, I was raised in a tradition that taught sin is a willful transgression, or I choose to do something wrong. And, and that's true. Some of you were raised in traditions where you, taught, you were taught sin is falling short of God's glory. Well, that, that's also true. Maybe many of you kind of grew up in the church I did, and if it was fun, basically it was sin, and you weren't allowed to do that. You know, that's, that's kind of what I was raised in. And then the Bible defines sin in a mess of different ways. Uh, the Bible says sin is missing a mark. It's literally from the world of archery. You pull the bow back, and you shoot the arrow, and you miss your target. That's sin. Um, sin is described as a crooked or perverse spirit in us. Sin is, Deuteronomy calls sin a breaking of a covenant or breaking of a law. Uh, Leviticus calls sin the violation of the nature of God. Jesus said sin is actually this heart condition in Matthew chapter 5. In fact, in other places, unbelief is called sin and lawlessness is called sin. And now your face is saying what I'm feeling. Huh? 
you know, what does, what does that mean? You know, what, what is that, how does that help me in my life? What am I supposed to do with that? So, and this is my question as I think about and read about all the theologians over all the ages. My question is, who's right? Who's right? Because this is a pretty big deal. If it destroys this, and you might ask, Tom, who cares? <laughs> and respectfully, I would say, I think we ought to. I think especially this room ought to care. I don't know if you've noticed this, and I, I love our world. I love our country. But make no mistake, in America, we're looking at, at a different moral and spiritual landscape than we ever have before. We are legit doing that. What was clearly sin for my mom and dad is now acceptable and even preferred in my generation. In fact, things are so twisted now, in some circles, if we believe that something is sin, we're seen as the sinner or the intolerant one. Have you noticed that in our world? If spirituality is relative, here's my question, and this is why I think respectfully we should have this conversation. What are you going to hand off to your kid? What are you going to give them? What are you going to hand off to your grandkid? In the areas of morality, what's going to establish cultural norms? And on a personal level, if you believe sin separates us from God, then shouldn't defining sin be on our bucket list? If we think sin can kind of destroy some of this, then I think we ought to know what does that. And so that's kind of what I want to go after if we could today. The book of Genesis tells this story about the fall, and I'll let you read it for yourself. Uh, but, but this fall apparently was the cause that resulted in all of this evil. And, and, and all this evil, and what are you saying, Tom? Basically, read the headline. You know, I don't know if you thought, you get the headline, and then you read the headline, it's enough to know, I don't want to read any more about that story. Look at those headlines, and you, you pick one, and apparently whatever happened that caused those headlines was all because of a very simple thing. Now, when you consider all the evil in the world, from mass murderers to suicide bombers to people taking pot shots at other people to human trafficking to rape to abuses to addictions, you fill in the blank, whatever you want to use. When you look at the thing that produced all those heinous, evil, dark things, whatever happened, it had to be really nasty. It had to be a big deal to produce that kind of stuff in our culture. So what was it? What, what made all this sin stuff take place? It had to be so demonic, so shockingly wicked that it would impact all of human history and would impact what you and I are living in today and what we see in our culture and see in our world. But the reality is, at least the way I read Scripture, is it really wasn't that shockingly wicked. Genesis says, Adam and Eve, ready? Simply turned their attention from God. That's what Genesis says. They turned their attention from God. In other words, God gave them everything, but Adam and Eve began to obsess. They actually became preoccupied with one part of the gift. God says, everything's here is yours, but I want you to know only good so just focus all your attention on me because I'm the source of all that is good. And if even for a minute you turn your attention away from me, 
you see what evil is, and I don't want that for you. And if you let the source of your life, your joys, your pursuits become anything other than me, God says, you'll come to know not only good, but also evil. So sin entered the world when Adam and Eve became more enamored by the gift than the God who gave them the gift. Read it for yourself. Consistently throughout the pages of Scripture, Adam and Eve, Abraham and Moses, Sermon on the Mount, God has said to humanity, I have only one condition for our relationship. Keep that condition and let me be who I am supposed to be. What is that? The center of your life. Let me be that. So you know what sin is? The nature of sin is we turn away from God being the center of our lives. That's the nature of sin. And what does that look like? Well, you make a list and I'll make a list and they'll both be true. We turn away from God being the center of our lives. Now listen, file those words right there away because we're going to come right back to that in a little bit. Turn away. Isaiah says this, we all like sheep have gone astray. That means everybody in the room's turned away. Okay, you don't have to wonder if you're the only person in the room who has ever. You're not. You're in a room full of people who have. All like sheep have gone astray, and each of us have turned to his or her own way. Everybody's done that. Everybody. Nobody gets a pass. Even your grandma did this, okay? Everybody. You don't want to think about it, but she did. I mean, I mean she did do it. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Martin Luther, he was the leader of the Reformation, which was like, a, it was like an uprising. <laughs> and he defined this turning away as the heart turned inward upon itself. Luther said, sin is turning away from the one who gives life and turning to what I can do for myself. And this is true. You think back. You think to the moments in your life where you pursued something that you would call sin. Now, this relationship's not working out. It's not going where I want it to do. I'll take care of it. I'll, I'll decide to do this. Uh, I'm really lonely, and I'm tired of being lonely, so I'll decide to do this. I'm emotionally bored. I, I, I'm tired of being emotionally bored, so I'm going to try to do this. And anytime we make those decisions, we're turning away from the one who gives life and turning on to what we can do for ourselves. Dennis Kinlaw, who I think is one of the most phenomenal writers on this, I wish he would have written more. He said this, sin is simply that I have begun to live for myself. I have turned within. I try to find out who I am by turning to myself rather than to God. Does that not sound familiar? Anybody want to raise their hand and say, I've tried that? Of course we have. (laughs) Kinlaw continues, I will find out who you are by turning to myself rather than turning to him. So I find out who you are by determining whether or not I like you, whether or not we have things in common, whether or not you can do anything for me. I'll find out what will satisfy me by turning within instead of turning to him. That's what sin looks like. At its nature, that's what sin looks like. Sin is turning away from God, but not just that. 
sin is also turning away from what God reveals. Let me, let me tell you what I mean. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So in the context of our definition of sin, a turning from God, what the biblical record is saying is that when Jesus comes to the individual, he reveals several truths to us. The individual understands who he or she is. God reveals that. The individual understands who their brother or sister is. God reveals that. The individual understands there is an enemy and who the enemy is. God reveals that. And the individual understands what life really is all about. Now, here's the thing. If that is what God reveals, if an individual chooses self over God, then darkness starts to fall in all of those arenas. You just listen. Now, let me repeat them back to you. Do you know anybody wrestling in these areas? An individual who doesn't know who he or she is. An individual who doesn't understand that there are other people in the world that we could do life for and do life with. An individual who doesn't believe there's an enemy, that life is all about them. An individual understands or doesn't understand why they're on the planet. You know anybody like that? Of course you do. And some of us are here in the room. And Scripture would suggest that's because an individual has made a choice of self over God. And darkness starts to fall in each one of these arenas. Sin is this turning away from God, and sin is turning away from what God reveals. And if you believe God is truth, then sin turns us away from truth. Did you follow my progression? Did you follow the logic, what I'm saying? That's what sin does. Again, you apply your own application to it, your own life stories Sin turns away from God, sin turns us away from what God reveals, and sin turns us away from truth. Now, what I'm giving you is the Christian perspective and understanding of what's happening in the world. If this isn't yours, you still have to come up with some kind of understanding of what's happening in the world. Scripture says that Jesus is the light that illuminates how we're to live. And Jesus not only gives truth, But Scripture says Jesus is truth. In fact, Jesus said of himself, if you were to read it in your Bible and not on the television, this would be written and read. And those are in Scripture. Those are the words of Jesus that have been preserved. And what Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When Jesus was arrested, He and Pilate were having this discussion back and forth, and Pilate said to Jesus, oh, you're a king then. And Jesus answered, you're right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. For this I came into the world. What was the reason? Why did you come? To testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So truth in our culture has become this abstract idea We define truth based on our circumstances, based on what is tolerant. And there is a fundamental place of disagreement between Scripture and culture because culture teaches truth is what is tolerant for the moment. Jesus said, truth is actually a person. And so our relationship with the person 
where truth is revealed. You know, you know what the word, where the word truth came from? It's this old uh, Indo-European word, which I have no idea what that means, but that's what it is. Um, and it means for, for tree. For tree. And I wrestled with it for a while. It's like, what in the world does that mean? You know, truth, tree, how can I preach this? You know, that kind of went through my mind. Have you ever heard the phrase steadfast as an oak? So, so what, the, what it's saying is this, back in the day before there was this day, and they're trying to figure out how do we say that this is the steadfast, uncompromising, you can depend on it, you can bet it's going to be there. And they said, oh, it's like a tree. And they said, you know, we walk out after this meeting and we go outside and the, that oak tree is still out there. Well, that's like truth. It doesn't change. It's always there. It's firm, steadfast. And that's the way truth is. And you know what? If we believe everything we've talked about so far, that's also the way God is. You can count on him. He doesn't move. He doesn't change. And faithfulness and truth come together in God Almighty. And if God is the unmoving center of our lives, then everything else acquiesces to the unmoving center of our lives. Do you follow? Hey, let me ask you something. Can you imagine building an identity on the unmoving center of one's life? Let me ask you another question. Can you imagine being married to someone who is building a life on an unmoving center? Can you imagine being parented by? You follow? In a world of storm and triviality and intolerance, God has said, here is an unmoving center, and it looks like this. In a world of diagnosis and disease and grief and loss and disappointment and hurt, there is this unmoving center. Ah, that's the bomb diggity. When the center is no longer there, when we choose to build a life around something other than God, there is no unmoving center anymore. And we are building a life. We are building marriages. We are building families. We are raising kids. We are building friendships on air. Because there's no center. So what the scripture tells a story about one dude who builds his house on sand. And one dude builds his house on a rock. Sin's turning away from God. Sin is turning away from what God would reveal. Sin turns us away from truth. And this is the one. Listen. And ultimately sin will turn us away from love. And I'm not talking about love like the latest Britney Spears song or whatever. I'm talking about, is she still around? I don't know. But anyway, I'm not talking about her. I'm talking about, the lo- <laughs> I'm going to get so much heat over mentioning Britney Spears. I just realized that. 
Oh, well, send an email, phathcock at Alive West. <coughs> so I'm talking about that agape love, that God love, that divine love. That's what I'm talking about. Not like love based on, oh, I like you, you like me, and as long as we keep liking each other, we'll be together. I'm talking about a life built on a steadfast oak truth. New Testament says, instead of having a heart curved in upon itself and its own desires, the person who experiences God's love in relationship, ready, will actually be turned inside out. It's a love that makes you care more about others, ready, than you care about yourself. And if that blows your mind, where are you in the relationship? Because this love makes us care more about others than we do ourselves. And it's why I'm talking to this room. This is the only place on the planet where this kind of love is taught. So what's going on in culture isn't because culture has let us down. They're doing exactly what they're programmed to do. It's because we have lost our way in living that kind of love. Tom's dropped the ball. And I've adopted something else. And there's only one source for that kind of love that makes me care more about you than myself. Do y'all remember when Jesus was getting ready to be crucified and he goes in that garden to pray? And do you remember what he asked God? He said, is there any way we could go another plan? Because this plan, I've read the book, it's, it stinks. This is not a good plan for, for good old Jesus here. This is not a good one. And he says, Are you, is it, if you're willing, would you be willing to change the plan? Take this cup from me. And that's fair, at least for me, right? Is that fair for you? For Jesus to pray that. I could see myself very much praying that. What I struggle with is what he prayed next. And then Jesus says, but not what I want to do, but... You do what's good for you. Not my will, it's yours. How many people you know living like that? Not my will, but yours be done. Is there any other way? Nope, this is the only way. Okay, then I'm good. Where does that come from? Where does that kind of love come from? I will, even though this will not help or benefit me, and it actually may hurt me. Where's that from? I'll do this for the Father. I'll do this even for those who will dishonor and reject me on this planet, Jesus says. This is a kind of love where the heart is not curved in on itself, but something has changed, and the heart is actually cares more about others than about itself. I would suggest the modern church is in desperate need of that kind of love characterizing the movements and the moments of Christianity today. Where Tom lives his life, Heather, Calicus, 
Lowell, where we live our lives in such a way that the heart is curved outward and not in on itself. Because we need that kind of love. We're building a wing for a whole mess of people that need that kind of love from us. And everything else is secondary. So, uh, maybe it's 25 years ago, maybe 30. The older I get, the longer that number gets and I get uncomfortable. But as a, as early on, I was ready to walk out of ministry. I was ready to quit. <clears throat> it wasn't the last time I thought about quitting, but it was a significant time. It was this difficult season for ministry for me, and I was burned out. I was tired, totally disappointed with what I thought was a revolution, end up being primarily revolting. And, um, and I wasn't healthy either. And um, I was out of town, and I was attending a church, a conference. Get this, the name of the conference was Prevailing Church Conference. <laughs> and I walked into that ready to quit. And so um, <clears throat> I, I was kind of uh, away out of town. I was by myself, and I was undone kind of thing. And I, was t- and I decided... Um, in the hotel room, before I even went to the conference, I, I decided I was done. And I told God that. Um, I was turning from God and anything that had to do with God. Because sometimes churches can be discouraging and pastors can be hurtful and people can be hurtful. And I was in the middle of all that. And it was time for me to walk away. Um, so I told God, listen to this prayer. You're going to be so proud. In fact, some of you are probably getting ready to leave. But <laughs> my prayer was, Lord, I'd rather live a life of disappointment to you than go back to those people or continue in ministry. So I call Lise. I'm headed into conference. I call Lise. and say, hon, I just want you to know. I feel like you need to know I'm done. I'm, I'm walking away from this ministry thing, and I'm walking away from church. And we still laugh about this today. She said, well, what are you going to do? Because <laughs> she's right. I'm really not very good at anything. Now I think about it, it's like, <laughs> it's like <laughs> well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I hadn't thought of that. I was just trying to have a moment here, and you're asking me what we're going to do. I mean, give me a moment to fall on my sword here. I went into that conference, and she went into a prayer closet, and Man, God spoke to me in such a powerful way. To this day, it remains the most powerful time God has ever spoken to me. I'd love to tell you all about it, but basically it's this. What he said was, don't give up. Stay the course. I got this plan. And it wasn't an easy conversation because God was asking me to do something that was very difficult. Turning away from this seemed easier than staying the course. Now listen, for those of you that have this different theology, let me just be honest with you. I was a soul, I was a believer at this time. I was walking with God. But I was ready to walk away. So I wept in my seat as I listened to a guy like me doing what I do, and I wrestled with God that day. He wanted to be Lord, but so did I speaker of the conference had everybody stand and we started to sing the closing song but and I couldn't take it I, I left the auditorium and I was walking through this hall of this big church and I was bawling and uh, I just wanted to hide somewhere you know to get out of the way so I start turning doorknobs <clears throat> and I finally get one that's unlocked and I open it, it's the prayer room 
It's like, couldn't have been a janitor closet or a bathroom, anything. But no, it's the, it's the prayer room. So I said, oh, man, God, that was really good right there. I mean, I don't know how you do that stuff, but that was a good one. And so I, I took like three steps into the prayer room, and I just fell on my face on the carpet. And I just wept. And I buried my face in the carpet, and that day I made a choice that changed the rest of my life. I'm a believer when this is all going on. And I made a choice to allow God to be the Lord of me. And that I would stop my turning away from him in whatever area of my life that he would bring to my attention. I want to say it again. As a believer, I made a decision that I would turn away from anything I was doing that might be hurting my relationship with him. And so in total surrender, I offered to God whatever ministry he would have for me in my life. Whatever ministry I would do in his name. And the music started playing in the auditorium. You know what song they're singing? I'm laying there and facing the carpet. I don't know if you grew up in church or not, but this was a song. It's like, I have decided. That God, he's good now. I said, man, Lord, I'd really, to follow Jesus. Remember that? Yeah. Do you remember this part? No turning back. No turning back. On a personal note, this was before a lie was ever on the plate. Before I never, ever knew I would be able to walk and do life with so many of you. So void of courage, (laughs) filled with fear, I decided I needed a Lord. And I needed a deep relationship with God. You read it for yourself. As best I understand it, there are two entities that have a plan for my life. God has a plan, and Satan has a plan. And every person has to choose which entity they're going to follow. Jesus laid out the two plans. Thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. That's one plan. And you've seen it. I see it in culture, in friends' lives, in our own lives. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. So when I put it like that, who would choose Satan's plan? Who wants stealing, killing, and destroying? Nobody. And yet some of us in this very room are struggling with our relationship with God because we are choosing Satan's plan, maybe not across the board, but maybe in one or two areas. Sin is in our lives. Even though we're believers, sin is in our lives. And we've turned from God because in this one area, we're still choosing Satan's plan to steal, kill, and destroy. We have a secret. We have some private behavior. We have some shame-producing choices. We have some anger we're holding on to instead of forgiving. We've checked out because it got too hard. And sin is still hanging around. There's one more theological word 
I want to give you. And it had to do with that turn away business. The words repent, again, it's a word you just hear in church. You know what repent means? To turn. So if you are finding yourself struggling and sin has crept its way in, or maybe like me, you're ready to turn and bail on the whole thing, you've got this turn inward. Repent is to turn back to God. If sin is to turn away, repent is to turn toward. And so I'd like to ask you to think about doing that. Because I suspect there are a good many of us that something is eating away our relationship with God. Repent. Let me guide you through that as we pray. Lord, thank you for these good folks. And Lord, um, I don't want to play any games. I don't want to sing just as I am 14 times and have people come to the altar. All I want in this next few moments, Lord, is for me and for you and my friends and for you, for all of us to have a moment with you. And so here's what I would ask for some of you as we've been talking, some of you believers. When I talked about one thing that is between you and God, you knew immediately what that was. You knew it. I would ask you, would you consider repenting? Would you consider turning away from that one thing, that anger, that unforgiveness, that habit, that thought process, that relationship that's growing a little fuzzy and it's entering a danger zone? Would you consider turning away from that, repenting? And if God has brought it to your mind, then you pray what I prayed facing that carpet, Lord, I turn away from it. I turn back to you. That's it. You ask God, and he'll do that. You can do that. If you don't really have a clear place in your mind or heart, ask God. I still pray this prayer. Lay yourself before the Father and say, God, if there's anything in me, if there's any wicked way, I want to turn away from it. I want to turn toward you. Hey, listen, if you're not a believer in the room, and maybe this whole thing has made so much sense to you because of where life is right now for you? Well, repentance is your option too. And what that means is you turn away from all that you have made, all the shame, all the guilt, all the bad choices, and you turn to God and you begin that relationship with him. And as you begin that relationship with him, he'll continue to call you to turn. And we keep saying yes. We keep saying yes. Just this week, God called me to turn. And I keep saying yes. And if we'll do this, I think it changes our entire community. I think it changes the world that your kids, my kids, grow up in, the ones that you and I rub shoulders in. Let God speak to you. Repent. He's a good God. Amen.